Welcome to Night Sky Tourist, a place to learn the night sky, have fun with its ancient stories, meet astronomers and dark sky advocates, and fall in love with the dark. I'm Vicki Dirksen, your host and author of the website and blog, nightskytourist.com. If you've never visited the website, I invite you to stop by after the podcast. Check out some of the great blog articles, browse through the resource page, and sign up for the newsletters. The newsletters have great content that is exclusive for subscribers. Are you ready for an adventure under the night sky? Let's jump right in. Oregon is one of my favorite states. In the western part of the state, it has some of the best stretches of Highway 101 without falling into the cheesy touristy vibe. In the eastern part of the state, it has some amazing opportunities for stargazing under gorgeous night skies. In this episode, we're going to Prineville Reservoir State Park in Central Oregon, and it's a recently certified international dark sky park and the very first in the state of Oregon. Tonight's guest is George Faria, the park ranger supervisor of Prineville Reservoir State Park. He's been working with the Park Service since 2012, and he's also a dark sky advocate who loves astronomy, and he works to protect our night skies. This has led him to be a leader in his field, and it's given him opportunities to share his knowledge about the stars and galaxies. Please join me in welcoming to the podcast, George Faria. George, thank you for joining us on the Night Sky Tours podcast from the beautiful state of Oregon. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So let's start out with helping people understand where Prineville Reservoir State Park is located in Oregon. So yes, Prineville is located about 15 miles south of Prineville, Oregon, just off of Highway 380. Um, It's kind of off the beaten trail, but it's pretty easy to find and pretty easy to access. It's not too far away from the major cities, but it's, again, still pretty easy to access for most part. And you're the first international dark sky park in Oregon, is that right? Yes, we are. We started this magical journey on getting our our designation uh, in 2019 with a ranger named Nate Robodeau. Um, He first learned about the international dark sky designation from a volunteer couple Brett and Dawn, who camped with us uh, May to June of 2019, um, they were professional nighttime photographers and told us about it. And Nate brought it forth to management and they kind of took off and ran with it. That's awesome, because there's something about going somewhere and being able to see a really good night sky where you want to do something to protect that for the future. So that's really cool that you actually had guests that promoted that. Did the park have to like do anything special to get the designation or were you guys already in a really good position to be able to do that? So with Prineville and how it sits, um, we're geographically the center of Oregon. If you put your finger on a map of Oregon, it points right to us. Now, with that said, we have a bunch of hills that kind of surround our park, putting us up about 2000 feet, just roughly higher than like Bend in Redmond, Oregon, you know, those big urban cities. So we had to take about 18 months of 
pictures of sky to get a sky quality meter just so we can get that going. And with that information, we eventually presented it along with a very long application process. But we were sitting at a sky quality meter of 21.73 um, when we submitted our thing. And for those that don't know, that's pretty dark, even for us being so close to all these urban environments. Um, once we sat through and started doing a better measuring thing, our current average is sitting at 21.2 uh, magnitudes per arc. Um, it's still pretty impressive, but then on top of that, to keep this designation, we have to continuously improve upon our lightings, community outreach, um, making sure we can help protect the night sky because it's truly immaculate once you really get the chance to view it, see it, and enjoy it. And so I imagine, because you guys have a lake right there, that viewing the stars at night is extra magical because they reflect off the water. What's it like to stargaze there? It is epic. Uh, I can't find a better word to describe it. Um, I was a ranger at another park for 10 plus years and we could see the night sky pretty well. But then when I transitioned to Prineville and learning what we did and got to see my first new, new moon cycle, it was breathtaking. It was crazy. It was very humbling is a good way to put it. Never experienced anything like that. You hit it on the head where if you get those beautiful nights or the wind's not blowing against the river and the reservoir out there, it gives it that glass appearance, right? And you see that traditional look of like, you know, the mountains reflected off of the, off of the lake. Well, we're the opposite in a sense. You can watch the Milky Way almost fully circle <laughs> you completely and it changes it. It's different. It is very again like powerful to the sense and it's not just an exaggeration of words it is it's it's cool and what makes that just so much different is people don't see that on an average time basis you know well it's like 97 percent of our population worldwide those people don't see the night sky like i get to and it's every day out here it's beautiful it's awesome to see just how it looks all the way arcing across all the way up and over horizon to horizon north to south very very different and again back to that reflection it's it's trippy it's it's definitely a different thing and if you haven't seen it this is the place one of many in Oregon to come and check it out at I was just in Montana last week and um I was right near the Yellowstone River and I went to a stargazing thing there. You could see the Milky Way and there was a pond. The river moves too quick. So you don't really see the reflection mm. of the stars, but the pond was right next to the river and it's still. So I know what you're talking about because you almost feel immersed in the stars because you see them above, but you see them in your peripheral vision below at the same time. And it, it you, you picked the right word. It's kind of trippy. It's really cool. <laughs> it is. Do you offer stargazing programs or events? What do you guys do with that? Throughout the summer, you know, holiday to holiday, Memorial Day to Labor Day, we do programs Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Traditionally speaking, our Friday program is much more of a interpretive bay thing where we're using our amphitheater and doing a PowerPoint or talking of any sorts from the night ecology to just the local surroundings, the animals we have, as well as our stargazing um, talking planets, different things. It, it varies depending on what we can see above from full moon to, hey, it's the 
Percy had meteor shower come through. Let's talk about these specific topics, but also, again, bringing conservation into that mix there is important for us. Saturdays traditionally are our, our telescope viewings. We like to pull out telescopes. We have two eight-inch Orion SkyQuest telescopes, and then on top of that, we have a telescope nicknamed Big Doug. He is a probably seven-foot-long, 16-inch diameter mirror that's set up nicely to view these deeper space objects. It's pretty cool to bust that guy out and he has some damage right now. We'll talk about that later, mm -hmm. but it's trying to get those guys out. So just to give people the opportunity to see what the sky looks like, because most people can't afford, you know, these two, $3,000 telescopes. So we have all that going. And then Sunday, we again, traditionally have always done a laser constellation tour where we get the high powered laser out point out the constellations and tell their different stories from the Greek and Roman mythology. Fun fact for you, I am half Hopi Indian from Arizona. So I'm able to like piggyback off of what I know traditionally and reaching out to family members to learn some of them stories and being able to incorporate them in those programs. Because again, some folks don't understand that the Big Dipper isn't really a dipper, it's a bear <laughs> and they don't get that. Well, why is it a bear? Well, let me tell you two different stories about it and see how you can take that. We offer those. And, you know, just to give you more on that kind of a thing, we do offer a junior ranger program in the afternoons. Varies on what topics we're doing, mostly for the kids, but to get them involved from anything from painting moon rocks to painting your own solar system to learning about our local uh, chipmunk squirrel populations back into owls and learning about the Native American culture in these parts. It's plenty of different programs and events and the question you also asked was like what kind of events well at least two to three times throughout the summer we try to offer a star party um star parties where we get volunteers and things to come out um we have the sisters astronomy club that come out and help me they taught me everything i more or less know the rose city astronomers come out and teach me so much as well my friend grant tandy he is the director for worthy brewings hop observatory where they have an observatory on inside of a brewery and it's pretty cool he comes out to take pictures not only does he do the astrophotography but he comes to help and we put together just different things that go on in this area now this summer as well in april we did a thing with a hunter nowak who does classical musical piano playing in remote areas and scenic beauty places phenomenal what he does well he chose to come out to Primeville Reservoir to do a night sky presentation so we had him come out with his grand classical piano on a trailer right at the edge of you know the shore there for the lake play that along with a Hopi flutist named James Greeley um, they came out and played together and you have the Bluetooth headset on and you're staring at the night sky with that reflection listening to classical music and taking in its beauty and it's awestrucking it's different it's wild it's crazy and again that was the first time we've ever done that so it was pretty impressive um and different we're planning on doing more of those star parties and see what we can do with hunter again to bring him out uh but we do offer plenty of things on the weekends to come and hang out that sounds awesome and if nobody has ever like been at the edge of a lake sound travels really far and echoes more. So I can Correct. imagine that had have been just out of this world. I, that would have been great to have been there. It was. And even more on that, like he does a 
Bluetooth headset that you put on so you can travel, you know, almost a hundred yards of football field distance away from where he's playing to give people that opportunity to walk the edge of the reservoir while listening to this classical music and stop and take a look up, watch out for things on the ground and play and watch it. And it was, it was pretty cool. It was different. It was definitely something out of the ordinary. That's amazing. I, I'm loving this idea here. Oh, and, and I also love, you know, you mentioned telling the star stories and I am so enthralled by learning star stories because most Americans grow up in school, if they've heard any star stories, it's going to just be the Greek and Roman mythologies. And sometimes, sometimes we forget that those are linked to actually being star stories as they are. And we, you know, most of us haven't been told that every culture around the world had star stories and not every culture saw the same picture in the same set of stars. Some of them did, you know, and that, and that's really cool that you have one culture on one side of the planet seeing the same thing as one on the other, but that's not always the case. And I love that stuff. I love hearing what different cultures saw in the sky. It's just so fascinating. I love that you do that there. Yeah. And you touched on it, you know, that cultures had different stories, but one of the crazy interpretations I've learned was that it's weird that everybody saw the great bear and the little bear doesn't matter. Centuries of no communication. There is no way the Egyptians supposedly talk to, um, you know, the native Americans here, you know, the Hopi and Zunis are the star people of the native American world and whatnot. We had no communication with each other, but yet we still saw a bear. How did we come up with that kind of interpretation? And then on top of that, the Greeks and Romans, they have that same interpretation of it. And everybody has a slight variant of their own storytelling. But again, back to the concept of those are bears. How did they see the bear? How did they all line up the same exact stars to find the bear? Impressive. It is really impressive. And, you know, thinking about today in modern terms with light pollution, it's really difficult to see the rest of those stars. We see the Big Dipper very easily from almost anywhere, but the rest of those stars that make up the entire bear are becoming more and more, more difficult to see because of light pollution. And I love that, you know, as Primeville Reservoir State Park is now a designated dark sky park, you guys are doing things to protect that for the future generations and for, for today. So that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, of course. So do you guys offer um, camping at your at your park? Of course we do. So Prineville Reservoir offers about 67 different types of campsites. We have full hookup, which is your electric water and sewer dumpage. We have some electric sites, which are just electric and water. Uh, 23 of those campsites are tent, tent campsites. We do offer five cabins. We have a plethora of many things. Um, one of the great missions for state parks is inclusion. So we have different types of things for everybody. On top of that, we have plenty of things that are accessible for those that need them of any ADA sorts. Um, we have boat slips as well, just because, you know, it's a lake. We'll give it that. Um, we also have another campground inside our area. Might not be in our designation for our dark skies, but Jasper State Park is inside of our management unit. Um, just down the road by a few miles. And, you know, they offer 27 campsites 
and have one cabin and a boat ramp as well. So plenty of different opportunities for you to come out and camp and enjoy it. Now, we also do a different thing than most parks do, too. We offer a lot of like uh, boat in camping. So people put in a boat, pay for the parking. So their vehicles protected and whatnot. And we got it registered. And then they can boat in and shore up anywhere throughout the reservoir to some of these areas. Now, there's a handful that are kind of set up nicer than others. But you can boat right up, moor your boat against the beach shore. It's all sandy. Set up with your tents and stuff. And then literally hang out off the beaten trail on a different part of the reservoir that respectfully most people aren't getting to and at that point to tie it in like you're still having a different perspective of the night sky you're still seeing the same thing you're expecting but you're out on the water different story at that point like you said being on the shore and looking out now imagine being on the water and looking at it it's going to be fully 360 bubble around you that is you know the night sky and it's wild that's awesome one thing that I've seen when I've gone camping at places sometimes, because you mentioned you've got camping spots with full hookups, the electricity and all that, where I see people come in sometimes with their RVs and they set up and at nighttime they turn on these rope lights and hang, you know, little twinkly lights all over the place and stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you've left town to go camping and then you've got to ruin it by putting all these lights out here. Um, do you have people that do that or do you, and then this is something I don't know as an international dark sky park, do you have rules for campers about that? So we, by Oregon state rules kind of statute, do not have a light rule against people of any sort, but it's always like, Hey, you can't interfere with somebody else's enjoyment. Now, with that said, my experience and most of the stuff I do is at night. I'm one of the night rangers was, um, and you can walk through and people come out here specifically for two things, either to come fish on the reservoir or for the night sky. So it's impressive to see the amount of people that do put up their lights, but then eventually turn them down because they realize how much it's affecting things or people using low Kelvin lights. Another great one is, is you can walk through and we can put out a solid two thirds of the campsites are using red LED lights of some sort which as you know, is pretty well for viewing the night sky. It's easier for your eyes to adjust to it. So you have that kind of a thing. And to tie it back in, one of my favorite topics is down in our day use areas where our dark sky designation is. And that's where the observatory is, where we do all our programs, telescopes, viewings, and all that. Down there, it's about a hundred yards or less away from the campground. The campground is right there. You can see it. But how it's set up and everything, it just works so well that that light does not come down to that area. It doesn't impeach on that area. So, you know, we can't tell everybody shut off their lights and whatnot, but we can still offer you like, hey, you should go down to the observatory area, go walk the beach, go down to that parking lot. And you'll notice quickly just that quick transition of making it down there. It changes entirely. It gets dark quick and Again, it's just that natural barrier of things that set up how the how the trailers are angled, how the trees are set up in that spot to make a shield to block the light coming down and back to it. Like I point out, has everybody been to our main bathroom there where the showers and all that are? It's lit up like a Christmas tree, but you can't see it. And it's less than 100 yards away. Wow. And it's just hidden by just, again, that just how this park is set up. And it couldn't have been better. And now... 
it could be dumb luck that it happened in that way, but in our sense of stargazing and just enjoying that night sky, it's beneficial and it's helpful. That's great. How can people learn more about Primeville Reservoir State Park? So the easiest way is to tell people to go to the website. Um, the website is the stateparks.oregon.gov. Go to there and, you know, filter search us down to Primeville. Um, at that point, you have everything you need to know about our park location. We incorporate a lot with Instagram on the pictures that people upload and hashtag Primeville Reservoir. It all pops up on there and we put our event calendar on there. Usually it's about two to three weeks of information. You know, again, we offer different types of programs, kayak tours, all our night sky stuff is all listed on there and whatnot. Easiest way to find us is through that. You know, you can always give the park a phone call if you're curious. Um, we're all here just to help. It's pretty easy to find us. I'll put the link to that in the show notes so people can just scroll right down there and click on it and get right over to you to make it easier um, along with your social media site. So everybody can awesome. go right there and find you. Um, George, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. And um, I'm putting you on my, my list for my next Oregon trip. Can't it wait will, to check out your park. It will be worth it. I can guarantee you that. Thank you. We recently had a spectacular show with a Perseid meteor shower. And this week is a full blue supermoon. And then in October, parts of the United States will experience an annular eclipse. And next spring, a total solar eclipse will pass over a section of North America. Wouldn't it be nice to know about all of these great celestial events far enough in advance to plan them right into your schedule? Well, now you can. When you subscribe to Night Sky Tourist, you'll get a free download of my Things to See in the Night Sky guide. This beautiful guide will help you identify some of the most prominent constellations each season, know when to look for visible planets, plan for meteor showers and eclipses, and more. Visit nightskytourist.com and subscribe today. I promise that I will never spam you. You're only gonna hear from me when there's something really cool to share. So sign up today. That's nightskytourist.com. It's time for our night sky tour for late August, 2023. Pause the podcast, turn off all the lights, and I'll meet you outside under the stars. There's a really special celestial event happening this week on the evening of August 31st, 2023. It's a full moon, but there are a couple of things about this one that make it extra special. First of all, it's a blue moon. And no, that doesn't mean that it's going to be glowing blue, although that would be freaking awesome. A blue moon is just a second full moon in one calendar month. We had a full moon on August 1st, so this is the 2nd in August. We don't get a lot of these, so it's really fun to commemorate it when we do get one. And second of all, it's the second supermoon of 2023. The moon doesn't orbit the Earth in a perfect circle, so sometimes it's closer and sometimes it's farther away. And it just so happens that right now, the moon is at its closest distance from the Earth for the year. And so we call that a supermoon. 
And no, you won't be able to notice that it's bigger unless you have superhuman eyes. But one thing you should try to do is watch the full moon as it rises. When the moon is low on the horizon, the landscape and the trees and even buildings help create this optical illusion and it makes the moon look ginormous. It is freaking amazing. Once the moon climbs higher in the sky later in the night, it goes back to looking like its normal size. The optical illusion only happens when it's low near the horizon. So check it out. It's going to be beautiful. Just head outside at dusk and watch it rise as the sky gets darker and darker. Another thing that I love to see is called the Belt of Venus. And then we're not talking about the planet. Everyone talks about sitting outside and watching a beautiful sunset, but no one talks about watching the Belt of Venus. So when the sun sets, look toward the eastern horizon instead of the sunset, and you'll notice a band of pink right above the landscape where the sun is still lighting the atmosphere high up above. And then a dusty blue band appears right below the pink. And if you turn your head sideways, you'll really notice the pink and blue bands. What is this that you're looking at? Well, that blue band below the pink is Earth's shadow. And as the sun gets lower and lower below the western horizon, Earth's shadow rises above the eastern horizon. And it starts out blue, but it grows darker and darker until we're fully looking into our shadow and it turns black. And that gives us night. It's kind of funny that we call the growing night night fall because it actually rises in the east. But of course, night rise does not sound quite as poetic as night fall. You can have a really fantastic night on August 31st if you go outside to catch the sunset and then spend some time looking east at the belt of Venus. And then you'll be ready to watch the full moon rise right about that time. You'll see the enormous glowing orb and witness the 2023 full blue supermoon. A full moon makes it difficult to do quality stargazing because it's so bright that it washes out many of the stars. So for tonight's star tour, we're going to look for the circumpolar constellations. That just means the constellations that circle the North Star, or Polaris. So face north and look for the Big Dipper. The Big Dipper is not a constellation, but it's a smaller picture that's within a larger constellation, which is also called an asterism. So in this case, the Big Dipper is an asterism within Ursa Major, the Big Bear. You can use a stargazing app to map out all of Ursa Major. Just make sure that you turn down the screen brightness first. Now to the east of the Big Dipper is Cassiopeia, and it looks like a sideways W. Now if you go halfway between the Big Dipper and Cassiopeia, you'll find Polaris, our North Star. And Polaris is at the tip of the handle of the Little Dipper, which is also an asterism of Ursa Minor, the Little Bear. But if you're under light polluted skies, Ursa Minor is nearly impossible to see. So use a stargazing app and see if you can locate any of the other stars. You shouldn't have any trouble seeing Polaris though, even though it's just an ordinary looking star. The Big Dipper and Cassiopeia circle around Polaris throughout the night in a counterclockwise motion. They are always there circling Polaris, even during the daylight hours. 
You just can't see them when the sun is out, of course, but they are there behind all that blue sky. Be sure to check out the show notes for everything mentioned in this episode or visit nightskytourist.com slash 73. That's nightskytourist.com slash 73. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Night Sky Tourist Podcast. If you enjoy the Night Sky Tourist Podcast, please show your support by subscribing to it in your podcatcher and leave a written review. Your reviews are really important to me and they help others discover the podcast. Be sure to visit nightskytourist.com for great articles and resources. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter for exclusive content. We'll see you here again in two weeks. Until then, keep looking up.